Morning, guys. I'm Andrew. Um, it's good to be here with you all. Thanks, Jared. I uh, I didn't know that the uh, the love of the Father was going to be such a theme this morning, but that's what the Lord put on my heart to share this morning. Um, I believe the wild, unconditional love of the Father is actually the most life-changing um, revelation we'll ever have. And uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm still a little emotional from from hearing that testimony. And uh, I'll try to hold it together here. Um, yeah, the wild, unconditional love of the Father. That passage Nelson just read. To know the love of God, which surpasses all understanding. How does that even make sense? How do we know something that surpasses understanding? And I, I don't have a good answer to it other than I know he says we're supposed to try. And maybe it goes deeper than our understanding. Maybe it's anchored somewhere in our heart or in our spirit. I don't know. Um, and I know I, don't, I haven't seen nearly the fullness of the love of God, but I know I've seen and experienced a little bit, and it's changed my life. So I'm just going to share a little bit about what I see in the, of what that means, and a little bit of um, just some experience that I've seen with it, and how, how it's, it's changed the way that I see God, and it's changed the way that I see people forever. Um, The world doesn't understand unconditional love. It can't. The world operates on, I love you uh, if you love me back. I love you because of what you can do for me. If you've got nothing for me, I probably have nothing for you. That's not how God loves. It's just not. It's opposite. 1 John 4, 19 says... We love him because he first loved us. And uh, I heard a teacher teaching on this passage, and he explained that um, the way it was written in the original language, the, the syntax of the sentence, it, almost more, it would be almost more accurate to say, we are only able to love him to the extent that we know we are loved by him. So, obviously, in and of myself my own human ability, I have no ability to love someone unconditionally. None. Zero. If someone's hurt me, if someone doesn't have anything for me, I have no ability to muster up. I maybe can for a little bit, but if it's someone that's really hurt me or someone that's really close to me, I have no ability to show that person true unconditional love. However, the more I understand the love of the Father, and that's how his love works, the more he fills me with that, the more I'm able to love him in return in the same way. And it actually frees me to love other people because, in that way because I know that he's got me covered. I don't need someone else's love that hurts me. Not in like a bitter way, like I don't need you. But I don't, I, it's not a requirement for me to receive someone close to me, their love and acceptance or something they can do for me in order for me to, to lavish on them unconditional love. So I believe Jesus embodied this 
perfectly, obviously. Um, when he was here, he, he showed what it looked like to receive the love of the Father and then to pour it out on those around him. And there was, there, the people that he was close with had so little to offer him. So, like, so many of the people that he loved and he poured out his love on had so little to offer him in return. And so many people, if they were doing what Jesus did, trying to do it out of their own strength, love out of their own strength, they would have gotten utterly burned out. Why didn't Jesus get burned out? Because he knew his father's love that was unconditional, that was never going to end, and he was filled up in that place, and then he could go out of that place and love other people in the same way. He actually summed it up really well in uh, John 15. I'm going to start in verse 9. Jesus is speaking, and he says, he, he, he explains how, how this exchange works. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, he's abiding in his Father's love, and out of that, he's loving the people around him. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So that's the exchange. That's how it works. We're to love others as he has loved us. If we don't receive his love, we can't love others. It's that simple. <clears throat> I just want to tell a brief story to illustrate this from my own life and the way the Lord taught me this in a, in a very practical way. And uh, many years ago, I, I was hurt a lot by, um, by someone close to me. And I felt no zero ability in and of myself to love that person in return. I felt like that person did not deserve it. Like there was no reason for me to until something changed. I, I, in my own thought process, process, I thought something had to change in that person, the way they, their actions, in order for me to love that person. It was that simple. And I had no ability in and of myself to muster up actual unconditional love. It was a very exchange-based love. It's like, well, if you do what I want you to do, then I'll offer a little bit of my love in return. And my paradigm of all this was completely blown open when I started to realize that that's not how the love of the Father works toward me. And um, the Lord started to show me that if he were to love me, the way that I loved that person, waiting for that person to do what I thought they should do, he would have never loved me. My father would have never loved me. If, if, if my father in heaven was showing me the same kind of conditional love that I was choosing to show those around me, my father in heaven would have never loved me because he would have waited forever. But I love him because he first loved me. That's the only way I'm able to. And when I realized that, it actually completely freed me to first love my father in heaven in return because out of gratefulness and thankfulness for what he did to me. But then also I was completely free to love those around me 
to love the people that hurt me the most or that were the closest to me, the people that I thought in my own mind most didn't deserve it. I was free to love them because I was receiving the love from the Father. And the Lord started to show me this, and I, I was wrestling with it. I remember there was one day I was working, um, working construction all day, very monot- a very monotonous task I was doing, and I was just thinking about this, rolling it around in my mind the whole day because I was feeling convicted of the Lord to return the same kind of love I was receiving from my father to these people around me. But I was like, but they don't deserve it. And how can I do that? And if I do that, I'm actually giving away all my leverage over that person. I have no, I have nothing, nothing no ability then. If I choose, well, I'm going to love them no matter what they do, no matter what they do or what they say or how they treat me, if I'm just going to choose to love them and it makes no difference what they do back, then I have no leverage over them. I can't, I can't force them to coerce them to do what I think they should do. And I felt that was my, my, my task to do. And I'm, I'm rolling this around in my head all day. I'm like, well, I feel convicted to do this. And I know the Lord showed me that kind of love. But I don't know how I can actually do this. Like this is, I'm giving, I basically felt like I was giving up all my rights over that person that I thought that I had. And out of, out of nowhere in my heart, I just, I, I, this verse just fell right in my mind and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And the Lord spoke this verse to me and it's in Romans, Romans 12, 21. And it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the Lord showed me that the only weapon he has given me to fight evil with is good. I can't fight evil with evil. It won't win. It won't overcome it. I can't fight hurt with hurt, and I can't fight pain with pain. It's not going to win. I might hurt the other person back, but there's no overcoming. There's no success. There's no victory. There's no authority. And the Lord showed me that the only thing that can overcome evil is the love of the Father, the goodness that's within him. And until I change that paradigm and realize that's the only weapon that he's given me. Like he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness. That's a spiritual warfare. And if I fight that spiritual warfare with evil, with evil intentions, with manipulation, with coercion, with holding back my love, because I think that's within my right to do, I will never experience victory. I will never see the power of the Lord in that relationship, in that instance, and it's not actually going to improve. It's not going to go anywhere. But when I fight that battle with the love of the Father, to which there is no end, it's a source, a well that never runs dry, So my weapon never runs dry, and there's actually power and victory. And when the love of the Father is put to task fighting the forces of evil, it actually, the forces of evil have no power over it, because Jesus has won the war. So that is just a small story from my own life of how, and I'm telling you, when I I realized that, it didn't just change my one relationship with that person. It changed forever. I mean, this was 10 years ago. It changed forever the way that I see people. 
And I can't look at someone like, I, I can't be bothered by someone anymore. Like, I don't get angry with people like I used to because it's not based on them. I don't love them for them. I don't love them for what they can do for me. I love them because they're worthy of it because my father said I'm worthy of his love when I wasn't worthy. And he says the same about that person. And he fills me with his love and I can just pour it out on the people around me. And that's just a small revelation of the love of the father. It goes beyond understanding. That's just a little snippet, a little piece of it that that the Lord's revealed to me. But it's vast. It goes beyond understanding. So I just I give that to you as just an encouragement, as an invitation from the Father. He says, come into my love. Come into it and understand it. <laughs> understand something that there is no understanding of. But understand it somewhere deeper than the understanding to the point where it changes your life. And so I just I encourage you to, to ask the Lord. Ask him what that means. Ask him what the love of the, how deep the love of the Father really is. How deep does it go? Where's the bottom of the well? There isn't a bottom. There's no bottom. And we could search for the rest of our lives and we'd never find the end of that source. So it's an invitation from him to come into it and to see how vast it is. And the more you see it, the more you see it, we love him because he first loved us. The more we see it, the more we can love. If we don't see it, we're never going to love. We're not going to love him, and we're not going to love anyone else. So it's an invitation, and I just want to pray for us. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you loved us while we were yet sinners. I thank you that you loved us before we had anything to show in return, that you came and you died for us before you, you even had any sign of us choosing to walk in a path following you or honoring you or honoring the gift and the sacrifice that you gave, but you chose to love and to give before any sign of return. And I just pray that uh, you would reveal that in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits in such a deep way that it would transform the way that we um, we see the people around us, the way that we love the people around us, the way that we choose to um, let go of, of the grudges, um, of the resentment, of the bitterness, the unforgiveness for people that we feel like we have a, have a right to hold that over. So I just pray that you would, you would, you would release us from, from uh, the need to, to hold that over people because we have no right to. Thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us first. Bless the people here. Each one that hears it and responds to it, I pray that you would fill them up with a revelation of the wild and unconditional love of Father God. Amen. Thank you. Andrew, you and Mercy do such an amazing job at modeling what you just talked about. Thank you. In the short time that you guys have been here, uh, you guys are having an impact on this community. Thank you for the way you love, the way you demonstrate that. You just totally set me up. Use some of my verses. Hallelujah. So it's already 1130. We're going to move fast. But I had um, some of the same thoughts 
that Andrew was sharing. And I want to start with a story of an experience I had at Care Group. And uh, our care group was, we were sharing burdens that were on our heart. And uh, things that we were going through. Life. And then we stood up, we, we started praying. Some of us were standing. Some of us were sitting. Some of us had our hands raised. And I remember opening my eyes, because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the prayers. I opened my eyes and I looked around the room. And uh, in a moment, I saw something. I felt like I heard something. This thought, you're not the only ones. We were talking about what's going on in our country. We're feeling very burdened. And all of a sudden, I knew that all across our country, all across America, these prayers are going up to the Father in homes all over. We're not the only ones. And I saw like a church rising in victory, rising in prayer, a church that wasn't afraid of the battle, but a church that was running towards the battle, not a church that was getting weaker, a church that's getting stronger. Do you believe that? It's, it wasn't just happening in our little cluster. I know it's a burden to pray. I feel a burden to pray. Like I haven't felt in a long time. And I, I, believe it's, I believe it's from the Spirit of the Lord. And He is urging us into this place of an intensity of prayer. That we can accomplish things that we never could. Never could without. So, there's a, there's a story of a pastor in the South during the Civil War. He... Um, I looked for the details. I read this story. I looked for him, couldn't find him, so I apologize if I get some of the details wrong. But it was at the start of the Civil War, and he gets up in front of his church, and he started preaching about this being a righteous war and how they needed to fight. And he issued a call to arms to his congregation. And he said, we're going to go and, and fight basically God's battle. Both sides thought God was on their side, by the way. Interesting thing, both sides would have revival services. Both sides, soldiers would come to Christ. They'd have baptisms, revival meetings, interesting stuff. That's beside the point. But they, the, the pastor led a closing prayer. He said, amen. He marched out the aisle and the men in the church followed him out. And they went and joined the, the nearest brigade or wherever it was to to join the fight. Um, I don't want to be dramatic, but I do want to get your attention. So with the same words, but a completely different meaning, I want to call you to arms today. I want to call you to arms. I don't know if you know what that means. That means a call to action, a call to do something. I want to call you to prayer. I want to call you to have a burden to pray. We're going to read, uh, if you want to put that verse up, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, 
And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The Corinthian church that he's writing to, they were having arguments. They were having rivalries. There was literally people um, trying to, they, they were fighting about who has the most authority. Who people should listen to. Paul said, the world has a way of taking care of disagreements or arguments. When tensions get high enough, violence erupts out of it. People try to force their will on somebody else. But he says, we, don't, we, we have a completely different way to fight. Exactly what Andrew was saying. People want to overcome evil. They want to overcome something that they don't like. But they'll attack it in the same spirit and it gets nowhere. Nothing happens. Listen. Listen to what he says. The weapons we fight with aren't the weapons of the world. Our weapons have divine power. <laughs> divine power. That's God's power. That's God's will. God's desires. You have weapons that have God's power behind them. Or you could choose to fight with human power. You can choose to fight with your own effort. I've done that many times. Sometimes it can make you feel good for a moment. Like the leverage that you want to hold over somebody. It can make you feel good in that kind of way. But it accomplishes zero. It doesn't accomplish the purpose. So you're going to have to lay down human effort. And you have to take up divine power. He already used the verse, Ephesians 6. The struggle that we have is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humans. It goes so far beyond that. That if it's not against humans, human weapons won't work. They have no effect. <clears throat> if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning could you remember this it doesn't matter how unimportant you think you are it doesn't matter how little you think you are how little people pay attention to you you have access to weapons with divine power. You're not helpless. You're not hopeless. The body of Christ needs you. You have a purpose. You have access to the supernatural. I'm going to crush the idea that prayer is boring. That it doesn't change anything. And that you're just... Somebody, nobody really pays attention to you, so you, your prayers don't make a difference. It's not true. It's not true. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory, you have divine power. You have access to that. You really do. So, Here's a news flash for you. If you've not known this before, I want to try to use this phrase a couple times. God would like to work with you. If you have a burden, something that you're burdened about, 
God would like to work with you if you'll talk to him about it. Do you agree with that? That's actually true. It's very simple. God wants to work with you. He just wants you to talk to him about it. I read a survey that the average pastor in America prays for three minutes a week. I don't know whether to believe it, but almost to do. <laughs> um, perhaps that would be why a church in America is weak. Maybe that's why we bow down to idols that our culture shoves in front of us. Maybe that's why our strength is low. Because we rely on our human power. And we're not accessing divine power. We make a big deal about Christianity being a relationship, not a religion, right? What good is a relationship without communication? You know, probably the reason that we don't pray more, that we don't pull out a weapon with divine power, is because we don't think something's going to change. That's just being honest. I think that's probably why I don't pray more. That's probably why you don't pray about things. You might get the burden, but if you don't do anything with that burden, you just carry it and it becomes heavier inside of you. If we don't think it'll change anything, that's a faithless attitude. Faithless attitudes create faithless prayers, and faithless prayers don't change anything. So, let's just talk for a moment. When you encounter something that gives you a burden, okay? Everybody knows what that's like. You're going to have something different than the person sitting beside you, but you might have something that consistently comes back to you that oh, you feel a weight. Or perhaps you feel anger. Everybody has the thing. For me, it's many times when I hear, you know, things in government or things in the media that they're trying to distort things. For you, it could be, let's, let's just say it's a disobedient or disrespectful child. It's, it's a burden. Ah, oh, comes on you. Maybe it's a financial situation. You're... You're stressed, and you thought things were going to get better, but they continue to get worse and worse. It's a burden. Its weight comes on you. If I just use my, what I struggle with as an example, we're going to talk about what Andrew was talking about, weapons. For me, if I, if I read that some governor made a decision that I think is just purely foolish. Or if, if, yeah, how much do you say? <laughs> if I read where I feel like I, I know the truth and I feel like somebody that wrote this article was deliberately trying to mislead people when they wrote this, I feel a flash of anger. I feel, I feel an anger in my spirit. Now that anger in the moment, I don't, I don't believe that that's sinful. That, that first reaction, it's not sinful. I actually think that that's something, it, it's just itself. It's how I was created. It can 
It can become sinful if I don't do something with it. If I internalize it, it can become hatred. And hatred will manifest itself in your soul in so many ways that you don't like. So what are you going to do with that reaction that comes into your heart, that flesh? I feel like I'm becoming better at recognizing, uh, that's, that's my opportunity to pull out my weapon with divine power. It's, it's the opportunity. That anger. Because I've done the other thing where I just, idiots. I'm being honest, guys. You've all done this, I believe. It's foolish. And if I just continue in that spirit, I don't accomplish anything. I can't change anything. All my wildest human efforts, my human weapons. You can curse. You can scream. You can complain. You can argue. Nothing changes. Nothing will change. And I say, oh God. I felt that. I recognize this is my opportunity to pull out my weapon of divine power. I pray for our governor right now. Lord, that you'd put somebody in his office that had experienced the love of Jesus. He probably doesn't know that. God, I pray, if I'm praying for the media, God, I pray that you'd expose lies that are hidden. You'd expose corruption. And you go after it in that way. I pray for our nation. See, I've, I've completely turned from my human effort is... Get angry. Nothing happens. But if I begin to pray, all of a sudden I have access to the supernatural. And I believe that. I believe that. If you have a child that's disrespectful, disobedient, what's a, what's a fleshly reaction? I, I'm not really... I can't speak to that, but I know a lot of people have that situation. I saw just yesterday somebody screaming and waving their arms and like this at their child. Is, is that changing something? Is that accomplishing something? It might be, but it's definitely the wrong direction. It's not bringing the effect that you want. You want to change in the heart of the child. You begin to pray for them. Oh God, I pray that you'd pursue my child. Lord, that they'd experience your love in a beautiful way. Teach me how to love them, just like Andrew was talking about. Teach me how to show unconditional love in this. Show me, give me wisdom. All of a sudden, you're fighting with God's power. It might not be the initial way that you want to start, but you got to learn. I don't fight this a normal way the world wants to. If it's a financial crisis for you, I can speak to that. I've experienced those. I know many of you have as well. You all know. I'm just going to share a quick, quick story. In my life. Fairly recently. I had something go wrong. And uh, I thought I was in a very difficult place financially. And... Um, Guys, if you do one thing, get a wife that prays for you. And it'll... Uh... Anyway, I was too depressed to pray. 
confession time. I was feeling very down. I didn't see. It, it just looked difficult, looked hard. And I remember I laid in bed, and I, I didn't feel like praying. And my wife knew what we were going through, and she reached over, and she put her hand on my head. She put her hand on my head and she prayed. She prayed that God would show up and do a miracle for us. <clears throat> and we went to sleep. And um, within 24 hours, somebody walked up and handed me a check and said, I woke up this morning with an amount in my mind. And I felt like God gave me this for you. Does this mean anything to you? Newsflash. God wants to work with you. But he wants you to talk with him about it. Okay? He loves to touch your life. You have weapons with divine power. Paul said something to the Ephesian church. He said, I'm going to tell you how to dress before you leave your house to start your day. And he talks about the armor of God. And he said, put on truth like a belt. This is Ephesians 6. Put on truth like a belt. Put on righteousness like chest armor. Righteousness, right living. It'll protect your vitals. Put on peace like shoes. Take it with you everywhere you go. Make sure you carry faith in front of you like a shield. It'll protect you from flaming arrows that the devil shoots at you. Wear salvation like a helmet. Carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus demonstrated that in the temptations in the wilderness. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. These are weapons with divine power. There's three stories that Jesus told that demonstrate something that Jesus thought was very important in prayer. Something that I don't necessarily like. But if Jesus repeats it three times, says it's important, I think we better listen, right? These are the stories. First one is the story of the knocking neighbor. Second one's the story of the persistent widow. And the third one's the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Let me just read Luke 11, 2 to 10 with you. We can read that together if you want to put that up on the board. It's a lot of verses, but we'll go through them quickly. Luke 11, 2 to 10. A disciple came to Jesus, and they wanted him to teach him how to pray. So Jesus, this is, this is Jesus. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, 
and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, this story, I um, personally, I don't feel a big connection to it. I've never had a friend come over, start knocking, asking for bread. But I can tell this much. He's talking about persistence in prayer, right? So he's saying, even though you wouldn't get out of bed because somebody's your friend, not even because of a relationship, you would because of persistence to finally give them what they need. And I always thought these stories, they cast, they make God look like he doesn't want to help us. I think there's more behind it than that. So if that's what these stories make you think, I think you have to look further. The next one's in Luke 18, and I'm going to tell you that story. It's a story of a widow, and it says that she went to a judge in her city, and she would keep saying, avenge me, get justice for me, get justice for me. This judge could care less about justice. It says he doesn't fear God. He makes his own judgment. But the widow keeps coming back and say, get justice for me. Get justice for me. Get justice for me. And it says that wicked judge, even if he doesn't fear God, you know what? Eventually, he's going to get justice for her. He's going to rule on her defense. Because he's saying, you know what, if she keeps on coming, it's going to wear me out. I always thought, Jesus, you're not making your father look very nice when you tell stories like this. But there's more behind it than that. Okay? Don't stop there. The next one is a story of the, the Bible calls her the Seraphonician woman. You might remember this story. It gets a little awkward because Jesus and his disciples are somewhere and there's a woman that comes to Jesus and she runs and kneels down in front of him and begins to plead Jesus to heal her daughter. Her daughter's demon possessed. She says, please heal my daughter. Please heal my daughter. And Jesus doesn't listen. It's hard for me. It's not how I see Jesus. Says Jesus doesn't listen. And it continues. She continues pleading, Jesus, heal my daughter. And it becomes awkward enough that the disciples are like, um, Jesus, could you just take care of it? Like, we see you do this all the time. Do we have to keep this up? And Jesus says, you know what? I was sent to the Jews. I wasn't sent to those that are outside the Jews. And immediately she says, yeah, but I'll happily eat crumbs. And Jesus turns and he says, for this saying, you're free. Your daughter's healed. 
Matthew, the version says, I've never, I haven't seen such great faith in Israel. Something changed. In all three of these stories, you see persistence in prayer. Faith with persistence equals results. I don't know exactly how to explain why persistence. I know that if it was as easy as simply saying a prayer and always I immediately have a result. My selfish nature might treat God like a Coke machine, right? I just put my prayer in, punch it grab my Coke and I leave. It's not a pursuit of a relationship. Relationships are developed by communication. I thought of this example. If, if you're married, if you've ever gone through a difficult season, not between you and your wife, but you and your wife have walked through something together. When you come out the other side of it, sometimes it doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes it's, it's, it's becomes much more difficult. But sometimes if you walk through a difficult season together, your relationship changes. When you get to the other side, you look at the other person and you love them in a whole new way. Like, wow, I, I didn't know you're like that. It's amazing. This beautiful. Am I making sense to anybody? Something in the relationship changes. And you love the person even more deeply. And I think that could be part of the persistence. Why it's needed. I want you to listen to this quote. This one's been messing with me, and I want you to hear it. I do not believe, this is a quote by Eric Ludy, I do not believe there is such a thing as unanswered prayer. There are misguided prayers, selfish prayers, and doubting prayers. But true prayer doesn't go unanswered. It is merely abandoned prematurely due to a lack of persistence and faithful endurance. I'm going to read it again. I do not believe there is such a thing as unanswered prayer. There are misguided prayers, selfish prayers, and doubting prayers. But true prayer doesn't go unanswered. It is merely abandoned prematurely due to a lack of persistence and faithful endurance. Back to, back to uh, what I was saying about the persistence in prayer and the pursuit of that and how relationships change how your faith develops. I, I've learned so much by watching Pastor Penn pray. And when I, 
I don't know how many of you remember when we were thinking of purchasing this building. It looked like a mammoth. It looked so huge. And when you don't have money, it looks impossible. But watching Pastor Penn continually pray, continually pray, going through that situation and watching God provide, God provide, and there was always a need in front, and there was nothing there. And then God would provide. God would provide. It was a persistence in prayer. And we saw God's goodness over and over and over and over. And something about my view of God as provider changed. There's something beautiful that happens in the persistence. You guys have probably heard this one. This is a Martin Luther quote. That one previously was Eric Ludi. He's got a book called Wrestling Prayer. It's a, it's a great book to read if you want to read something about prayer. Martin Luther has a quote. I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> It's amazing. What if you don't know how to pray? What if you don't know what to pray? This is Romans 8, 26 to 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are to those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't it amazing to think he's making intercession for you as well? Hey, God wants to work with you, but he wants you to talk to him about it. Love to. Why don't you stand up? Can you say, I believe my prayers are powerful and effective? I'm going to lead you in that. Let's say it again. I believe my prayers are powerful and effective. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give us a burden to pray. Lord, that we, if we're used to just fighting in the flesh, we would give up that effort. It doesn't accomplish anything. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to pick up prayer, how to pick up the sword of the Spirit and fight in that manner. Thank you that you set us on the earth to bring heaven to earth. We want to make a difference. And I pray that courage would rise in our hearts.
Thank you, Lord. We say, teach us to pray. That same desire the disciples had, we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey.